gotten to know one another through um, a trip that we uh, would both go on to uh, just encourage one another as preachers. We uh, we write one another. We uh, it sounds like we're old fashioned. We text each other, uh, but we have been uh, good friends now for several years. Bryce has served in Kansas uh, churches in Kansas and uh, Missouri and also in Indiana, and he has, uh, in my mind, shown some of the kindest and greatest of character in the midst of trial and difficulty. And I can think of no better person that embodies not giving up even when it's been difficult. And so Bryce has a wonderful wife, Kelsey, and he has uh, two children. Uh, They are Chandler and Brannigan. Chandler's five and Brannigan is one. Uh, Bryce is a graduate of Ozark uh, Christian University, uh, or Ozark Christian College. That might get me in trouble. Uh, But uh, he's, uh, he's a wonderful man, and I know that he'll encourage us. Uh, today. And so please uh, welcome Bryce, and we'll leave it to you. Well, I am excited to be uh, with all of you this morning. Like Jordan said, I've known him for uh, quite a few years now. I think um, going on um, about seven years, and uh, I've liked him for about at least half of that time, I think. So, no, I, uh, I'm, I'm kidding. Jordan is, um, as much as he just said uh, nice about me, Jordan is well, one of the very few people with a big of heart uh, of, for the church and for Jesus and people, uh, as I know. And he has always just spoken so highly of the Green Church of Christ. And so I'm just overjoyed to be able to, to be here with you today, experience church with you. If you have your Bible this morning, I'd love for you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Now, I'm not uh, much of a sports guy, and so uh, it's not altogether surprising, but I didn't realize until a few days ago that we are actually in the middle of the World Series right now. It's like game five tonight, and I just found this out on Friday. Uh, but I, I don't think it's totally on my own sports ignorance that's to blame for this, because this has been just a weird season of baseball for sure. You've had short, shortened seasons and teams sidelined by COVID athletes playing to silent stadiums filled with those creepy cardboard cutouts, and it's just been a really odd time. It's just been awkward. And so especially in a World Series, it's just things like pumping in pre-recorded fan noise that just has to make it so odd for these players. And I think it's especially odd given the stark contrast between the usual hype of a World Series. I mean, usually you see the Guys painted in their team colors and their waving flags and, and, and wearing rally caps and doing the wave and blowing horns and clobbering children for home run balls. And, and then things get really ugly when your team loses and you see just grown men sobbing and holding and consoling each other and their team is eliminated. And, and all of this happens, of course, because when you're a fan, that's your team. You know, you feel as much a part of it as the guys who are actually hitting the balls and and running the field, and even though you've never rounded a base or touched the ball, that's you're a part of that, your team. That's why I love when people say, you know, we, we played a great game yesterday. I'm like, we? You know, really? Is that before or after you drop nacho cheese on your undershirt sitting on the couch? You know, we didn't have really much to do with it. And sometimes I think in the same way, we can view the church at times as a spectator sport. 
something that we can kind of sit on the sidelines and the bleachers and, and feel like we're a part of it, part of the team, even though we've never truly been involved. Sometimes it's easy to be a consumer rather than a contributor. It's easy to feel like you're a part of the team without ever actually playing a part on the team. But also I know that sometimes on the flip side of that, it can be hard to root for your team. And I would know, my brother has been a Cubs fan my whole life. I think I heard every year for 20 years, this year is our year. Of course, they did it finally a few years ago, so I can't make as much fun of him as I used to. But sometimes, likewise, the church, and I speak of the capital C church, the church as a whole all over the world, the church can be a hard team to root for. The church can sometimes be a hard the church is messy and imperfect because it's full of messy and imperfect people. Even the most faithful of churchgoers, those who are involved in all kinds of ministries, all kinds of areas, have been in the, their whole lives, can, can tell you that it's, at one time or another, they've felt the pain and pressures of church life. Certainly, I feel this as a minister. I mean, I love ministry. I love the church. I feel called to it. I, I've devoted my life. To it, But I have to admit that there are times when it would be a whole lot easier just to walk away. And so why, why should we, with all of its messiness, all of its imperfectness, all of the struggles and hardship of church life, why should we believe in the church? Why should we commit to the church? Why, why even does the church exist? Well, if you were to ask most church people, 81% would say that the church exists to meet my needs and the needs of my family. Eight out of ten people who are regularly involved in church says that the church exists for me. But the church doesn't exist to meet our needs. The church exists to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the world. I love the way Erwin McManus, a pastor and author, put it. He says, the church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. But this is something that we can only do. This mission is one that we can only accomplish when we realize that we have to be connected in community, that we have to be together in this. Yes, we come to church to connect to God and worship, and we come to connect with Jesus through the Word and through the sacraments and through living out our worship as a living sacrifice to Him, but we also come to church to be connected as a family, to connect together. The church, I think, is meant to be like a big bucket of Legos. I don't know if there's any toy that kids have loved more and enjoyed more throughout the years than those little multicolored building blocks. I have tubs of them still at my parents' house in Florida that I use as a kid's pirate Legos and cowboy Legos and space Legos and dinosaur Legos and all of these other kinds of Legos. But you would be really hard-pressed to have fun with a Lego just by itself. Nobody takes one brick of Lego, wee, you know, has a great time of it. Legos were meant to be connected. The whole point, the whole purpose of a Lego brick is to be combined with other bricks to make something amazing. A solitary Lego block can never fulfill its true purpose. And a solitary Christian can likewise never fulfill his or her true purpose on their own. We are meant to be connected. And this isn't just, I, I know this sounds like preacher speak, something that one would say to, to inspire you, but this isn't just preacher speak. This is actually literally physically true. A Harvard study some years ago uh, conducted this, this uh, research and review of 7,000 people to con- consider the effects of isolation versus community. 
And what they found is that people who lived in isolation were three times more likely to die sooner than those who lived in relation. And that didn't even that took into effect all the, the bad habits too. You know, those who were smokers or ate poorly or were alcohol abusers, all of those things, they still found that even with all of the bad habits, you were more likely to live longer in relationship with bad habits than you were with good habits on your own. And so what that tells me is something I've known all along, that it's better to eat Twinkies with good friends than to eat broccoli alone, you know? Can I get an amen? We just can't flourish on our own. A churchless Christian is like a, a spouseless marriage. It just doesn't make sense. And if you remove an organ from the body, it, it might be viable for a few hours, but much longer and it will die. And even though we were meant to be connected, and even though we were meant to live church life like this, there are many, though, who love Jesus but hate the church. We've all heard the phrases, you know, I, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian to worship. I don't. I, I can connect to Jesus as well as uh, lake fishing, communing with Him in nature as I can in a building. You know, I, I can be a better Christian without the church than I can with the church. And many, as a result, have given up on the church out of disappointment, or they've become disillusioned. We've heard the phrase that the church is full of hypocrites. The Christians not living like Christians, or the the church is just always talking about money, or the worship is too loud, or it's not contemporary enough. I'm just not being fed. So we read books like Brian Sanders' Life After Church, Julia Duin Quitting Church, Wayne Jacobson, So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore, Sarah Cunningham, Dear Church, Letters from a Disillusioned Generation. We see statistics that tell us that 80% of churches have either plateaued or are declining. And so for whatever reason, people have quit the church or are considering it. Christians and non-Christians alike have grown discontented, disillusioned, disappointed with the church and have forgotten that we were made to be connected. This problem is not a, a new phenomenon. It's been happening for thousands of years. As we look in Hebrews 10, like Jordan just mentioned a few minutes ago, there's this group of Christians who are considering leaving the church. Considering not persevering, considering walking away. But it's not laziness or discontentment or disillusionment for them, it's fear. It's persecution. It's hardship. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. The author of Hebrews speaks of these earlier days. He says back in the beginning when you had just found Jesus and you're new in your faith, you were on fire for him. You had endured the difficulty. No matter what Satan threw your way, you stood strong and you suffered together and you suffered joyfully. But now you're wavering and you're considering turning back and you're considering throwing in the towel. And it's in the face of this difficulty that God speaks this truth into their lives and ours. 
verse 24. It says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day the encouragement that we are given in the face of disillusionment or discontentment or fear or whatever circumstance that seeks to dissuade us from continuing to be the church is don't turn your back on the church. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up meeting together. And so this morning, I want to offer that same encouragement. If you are tempted to throw in the towel on church, or if maybe you've become a little disillusioned or, or disenchanted, I know this time, this season of life is easy to do so. If you're just feeling a little dist- distant from the church or from those in the church, distant from God even, I want to open your eyes to two truths about the church that seek to encourage you. And the first is this, that the church is majestic. The church is majestic. Now, you might think that this is an exaggeration or an overstatement. I mean, historically, the church has hardly attracted the power players of the world. We look around at church and we think, are we seeing the same thing? Majesty? I don't know. And if you really want to attain any real power or majesty, you become a politician or a lawyer or an athlete or an internet superstar. You don't seek majesty in plain little buildings full of everyday, ordinary people. But that's not how God looks at When God sees the church, He sees kingdom workers. He sees His ambassadors. He sees this vehicle through which He has chosen to reveal His Son, His rescue plan. Listen to how Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 talks about God's view of the church. Paul says, God raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power, dominion, and every title that can be given. Not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. God has placed Jesus as King over everything for the sake of the church. How many of us realize that we, when we gather together in a place like this, we do so as incarnational representatives of the sovereign King of the universe? And you just thought you're here to sing some songs and listen to a sermon and eat a little chiclet. But the church is majestic because we are ambassadors of a king. The king who placed the planets in place, whose creation extends far beyond what any human eye has ever seen, has chosen you and has chosen me to be the, the messengers of his liberating truth and his saving grace. Ephesians 3 said that God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. When the world chooses the rulers and authorities to manifest their wisdom, God instead chose the church to be His true wisdom. That word manifold means many-colored or multifaceted, multidimensional. It's as if to say this dazzling, radiant, flawless gemstone of the gospel is presented through the church. And so never forget that we, what we do as the church and as we gather is so much more than just getting together to sing some songs and listen to a sermon and, and worship together, but we do so because the king of the universe 
who ruled before anything ever was, has chosen to work through us. The church is majestic. But not only is the church majestic, the church is also mundane. The church is mundane. You might think that that I hear him right. I don't think preachers are supposed to say those things. I, I think that goes against the rule book. But yes, if we're being honest, sometimes the church can look a little plain. I mean, you would expect if the church is majestic and if we are kingdom ambassadors, if, if the church is the vehicle through which God has chosen to reveal His rescue plan, if the heaven's heartbeat is for the church, then this would be where all the important action is. You'd expect that if the most important thing is church, then we should be sitting next to spiritual superheroes. But instead, we find ourselves next to normal people. Teachers and nurses, students. Retirees, farmers. I mean, if we are looking around, we're thinking these aren't warriors. We expect to find Batman and Superman, but instead we see Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent. And it's not just about the people that can be mundane, but the processes as well. I mean, we have hymns and and organs and communion and and offering and 30-minute sermon after 30-minute sermon, 45, 45-minute sermon, benedictions and invitations. Add in elders meetings and board meetings and annual meetings and building projects and budgets. And you look around and it can just be a lot more mundane than majestic. But in all of that monotony, could it be that God is doing something remarkable? I think of the movie, uh, The Karate Kid. Many of you have probably seen it, but if you haven't, uh, the main character, Daniel LaRusso, is constantly being picked on and beat up by bullies. And so one evening he comes back to his apartment complex and he finds Mr. Miyagi, the maintenance man of the complex, doing some karate. And so he enlists Mr. Miyagi to help him defend himself against these bullies. And so he's so excited that Mr. Miyagi has agreed to teach him. And so he shows up ready to learn, ready to to get his karate on. And Mr. Miyagi says, well, first I need you to wax all of these cars. And he's very particular about the motion. Wax on, wax off. You've all done I still wax my car in a circular motion because Mr. Miyagi taught me to. And so Daniel waxes all of the cars, and he's sore, and he's tired, and, and really the day is over. And so Mr. Miyagi tells him to come back tomorrow, and they'll learn karate. Next day he comes back, and it's sand the deck. The same thing happens. All, all work, no karate. The next day, again, it's paint the fence. Then paint the house, and he's doing all of these motions until finally, several days later, Daniel is sore, and he's tired, and he says, you know what? I've come here, and you've done nothing to teach me anything. All you've done is make me your slave. All you've done is make me do your job. I'm done with this. I'm, I'm quitting. I'm going home. And Mr. Miyagi, as Daniel's walking away, goes, Daniel, son, come back here. And he comes back, and he says, show me wax on. And Daniel gives a half-hearted, and he says, no! Hey! Hey! And he does the whole thing, and, and pretty soon he said, Daniel's showing all the motions, and next thing you know, Mr. Miyagi's kicking and punching, and wait, wait, and he's just, Daniel's waxing on and waxing off, standing the deck, painting the fence, and he's blocking everything because he has learned karate unaware. In the midst of what he thought was just normal, mundane jobs, he had been in a secret apprenticeship. He had been waxing cars and sanding decks and painting houses and painting fences, not knowing 
But the whole time, he was learning what it meant to do karate until Mr. Miyagi says, come back tomorrow. Come back again. Don't give up. We must remember in all the times we wonder how on earth the church could really be magnificent. In all these times of drudgery and monotony and mundane activities, we must remember that through all of this, we are in a secret apprenticeship and learning spiritual things unaware. It's when we teach Sunday school and pray for hurting hearts and engage in God's Word through sermons and sing like we mean it. And it's in all of these times, through these mundane, ordinary things, that we are being formed to look like Jesus unaware. There are those that say the church is lame, embarrassing, hypocrites, full of petty arguments, and we are, yes, decidedly imperfect. But the history books of heaven are being written about the church. The world's books may be written about presidents and kings and political movers and shakers, but heaven's history book is filled with page upon page Sunday school teachers small-town preachers, and people who lead worship, and men who run board meetings, and prayer warriors, and encouragers, and faithful attenders, because church work is the most important work in the world. Heaven's heartbeat is for the church. The pulse of God throbs for His church. Don't give up on the church. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see that day approach. Yes, the church is majestic. And the church is mundane, but the church is also His. For Jesus, the church was worth dying for. The God of the universe, the King of creation, gave up His life so that we might not just go to church, but so that we might be the church. Jesus died for you, and He died for me, and He died for a world out there that needs to hear that truth, and it only happens when we decide to be the church. So I'll part with you with this. Craig Groeschel, in his book, Christian Atheist, Believing God exists, but living as if He doesn't, says this. He says, if you went to church and didn't like it, whether because you felt hurt or disillusioned or disappointed, then be the change you want to see. Even though the church is far from perfect, he says, mine sure is, think how much better it could be if you give your life to it. God is not calling us just to go to church. He is calling us to be Let's be and bring hope. Let's pray. Father, I'm so so excited to be here. To be a part of your church here in Etna Green. To be a part of a congregation that, yes, is imperfect because we all are, but is cherished by you. That you look upon this church and your church all over the world, and you see majesty. You see this vehicle through which, despite all of our flaws, you have chosen to use us as your church to be 
the instrument of teaching and telling people about the salvation that is available to them. God, as we look around, we don't necessarily see the same majesty that you do. We see mundane and we see ordinary. In the midst of all of that, God, please remind us that what you have called us to do, we are looking more and more like your Son. So God, I pray for this church here in this place that as we have been through this difficult season, and I know they have specifically been been hit hard by COVID and all of the things that go with it, pray that they might be in that they would be strengthened to know that there is work to be done and it is through them that you have chosen to work in this community, in this world. God, we thank you for the great love that you have. That despite all of our flaws and imperfections, you have not given up on us. You have not thrown in the towel on us. So please remind us to persevere as you have been patient and forbearing, merciful and graceful and loving toward us. May we be the same with those whom we meet who need to see Jesus. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the church. We thank you for all that you have chosen to do in us and through us and for us. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Stand in response as we end this morning.